Welcome to the Central City Podcast. I'm Joe Graves, uh, pastor of Central City Church, and uh, excited to have you with us. Um, we're changing a few things on our podcast, so I wanted to let you know that. Um, we've started sharing our testimonies, our faith stories, every week in church, and we've decided to include these as part of our podcast so that you can hear um, real people talk about uh, their relationship with God in real ways. So at the beginning of the podcast, you'll hear a brief story, about four or five minutes, and then after that, we'll get into the sermon for the week and uh, whatever series we're in. So thanks for listening, and we hope that God meets you during this time. Well, we're really glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. Um, if it's your first time, please let us know. If you're online and you're joining us for the first time, uh, please feel free to let us know. If you're here for the first time in person, uh, grab us afterward. We really want to make sure that we get to know you and make you feel welcome and loved here at Central City. Kiddos, you are welcome to head on out. Um, go on to the back there. Have some fun. Learn a little bit together. Um, Heather is going to be sharing with us this morning. Why don't you come on up? And uh, this is such a privilege that we get to hear from her. And it's like the Got Family uh, show today because Jeremy's going to be preaching as well. So uh, here we go. Hi, are we on? Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Heather. And my husband, Jeremy, and my boys, Connor and Thomas, um, we've been coming to church for a couple of years. And I feel like with the pandemic, we're really restarting getting to know the congregation again. So um, thanks for letting me chat for a couple minutes. I turned 50 this year, so it was hard for me to try to condense my faith story into just a couple minutes. But since Jeremy's preaching, I'm not going to go beyond that. <laughs> um, my faith story starts when I was four years old. Uh, my mom was really instrumental in helping me understand the love of Jesus. She told me that if I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and asked him to live inside my heart, that he would, and I would get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And as a four-year-old will, um, I had a very concrete understanding of Jesus, who is now living in my heart, as a little tiny man who was actually in my heart. Um, probably cousins with the little man that lived in stoplights and would race up the floors to turn on the green light or the yellow light or the red light. So, um, but it was an honest, earnest decision for me. I remember being filled with so much joy as I would lay in bed at night thinking about the love of Jesus. And um, it really did change my life. Um, in high school, um, my faith matured and grew. And there was a point where God really allowed my heart to understand that my love for achievement and my love for popularity would crowd out my love for Jesus. And that, in effect, those things were really idols in my heart. And the exhaustion and the angst and the effort that it would take to try to gain the satisfaction and the joy from those things that could not satisfy were not worth it. And in the end, Jesus was all I needed, um, and he would never fail me. And John 14, 27 became a life verse for me at that time. And in that verse, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And that verse has stuck with me for the, all of my life since then. Um, in my 20s, Jeremy and I met and married within 13 months, and um, we moved to Denver to work in 
inner city ministry. And bless his heart, I descended into a prolonged and profound depression months after getting married. And um, this poor guy went from having a fiance who was um, energetic and a go-getter to having someone who cried every day, could not escape sadness, felt isolated from everyone, felt like all my friends had lied to me my whole life and that I was just nothing was true, and felt abandoned by God um, for a long, long time in Denver, like years. Um, I could not feel the love of God, but I could feel the love of Jeremy, and I'm just so thankful that God brought him into my life. Um, He is an amazing man, as I hope you'll get to know just a little bit when he speaks later. Um, we left Denver and um, spent three years in Boston where um, Jeremy was getting his Master's of Theology degree at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And that was a time of renewal and refreshment, and we, um, God really blessed us um, and just allowed us to restart. Um, and then we moved back to Columbus where we had our boys. And the early childhood years for us were an absolute train wreck. Um, we, every family photo of us, we look like we are deer in the headlights, and we did not navigate those years gracefully at all. Um, and in fact, and in fact, once we got past um, past the the hardest of the early years, uh, we had what I now fondly call the year of irritability, where Jeremy and I had just enough energy that we spent the entire year irritated with each other. <laughs> so, um, but we made it through, and um, and God used those years to forge our marriage um, and love for each other uh, in new ways. And um, over the last decade or so, um, our faith has just resettled a little bit, and we have recommitted ourselves in new ways all the time to Jesus and are so grateful for his love and his presence in our lives. So... Morning. So for those of you who it's not your first or second time here, who are also astute observers, you will recognize that I am not your regularly scheduled programming. Uh, as, as Ryan mentioned, um, Joe is, is downstairs this week uh, in the nursery. It's kind of funny, he had, he had texted me earlier in the week, just a sweet little text just saying, hey, I'm praying for you as you're coming to preach this week, and that sort of thing. I'm like, great, perfect, love it, thank you so much, because I don't do this very often, and so you will come to recognize that, you know, not smooth, whatever. But I said, you know, I need to remember to pray for you, because I think you have the far harder audience this week, right? <laughs> And, and so in the spirit of that, I thought uh, an ancient Celtic blessing would be appropriate, that we can pray for Joe. Um, God, we pray that you would bless and keep him, that your strong angels would come and surround him and protect and guard him, that they would be before and behind, to the right and to the left, above and below, that they would protect from the piercing scream, the noxious odor, and every spewed bodily fluid, that they would guard him from the supply chain disruption of Cheerios, and from the consistent asking of why, why, why? Well, if you are a parent of one of the kids in nursery this morning, uh, no need to worry. If you should hear some crying from the basement, it's not your child. (laughs) It's Joe. 
Well, uh, as, we, as we make our way further into the Lenten season, we're doing this series on encounters with Jesus. And so we look in the gospel and we see these different encounters that Jesus has with people. And so we started out last week looking at one of those. And this week we're going to, to look at another. And so in today's passage, we're going to see a group of people who encounter Jesus in a very real, very tangible way um, as he healed them from a wasting disease. And we'll see how one of them responded in thankfulness even while others didn't. And, and really, that's the crux of the passage that we're going to look at today. It, it, it turns on, why was that? right? Why, why was it that, that one of them responded with thankfulness, and why was it that others didn't? And you know, the, the, the kind of challenging and, and sometimes frustrating thing uh, is that we're not told. And, and that's actually kind of characteristic of Jesus. If you look at his parables, if you look at his interactions with his disciples, so often he's not laying things out in very precise black and white things, but he, you, he makes these statements, he tells these stories, and he kind of lays it out there. And you, and you, and you don't immediately understand what, what's going on, but you have to kind of turn it over and look at it and sit with it and let it, let it kind of resonate with you for a while and, and, and look at the, the clues and the implications and make some educated guesses. And, and true, you, you could be wrong. Right, but, but you approach it with humility, and, and so we'll do that today. We'll approach it with humility and, and ask for God's grace and his direction um, as, as, we, as we dig in and, and, and try to figure out what, what he's getting at and what that means to us. We're going to be in Luke's gospel today as Jesus encounters 10 men who, has, who have leprosy and he heals them. And as you listen to the passage, as I read it out here in the moment, I want you to pay attention to a couple things. I want you to pay attention to how this encounter with Jesus plays out, um, to, especially to the experience of those encountering Jesus. And I want you to almost imagine that yourself that you are in their shoes, first in the, in the shoes of the one who, who comes back and is thankful, and also in the shoes of maybe one who didn't. Um, so as you, as you kind of listen, listen with those ears on. All right, we have the passage there. Yep. Um, so from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. Um, because we often read through these passages, right? And, and, we, and we see these, these place names, or we see these people or types of people called out and stuff, and we kind of read through them in a very kind of neutral sense, right? But, but, but they're not, right? If, if, if you were an original hearer of this, if you were an original reader of this, these would, these would have these kind of visceral reactions that they would stir up in you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, just kind of briefly throw out some names of places, and I want you to pay attention to your immediate gut reaction, what comes up? What's the first image that comes to mind? Okay, and then I'm going to do the same with um, some some types of people. All right, New York City, Alabama, San Francisco, Iowa, 
Washington, D.C. Haiti. Juarez, Mexico. Kiev. Russia. Did some things come to mind? Immediate, snap, gut things? Yeah, what came to mind? Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, you will appreciate the, the next series of things. That, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Busy roads, lots of people, yeah. A potato. <laughs> Corn and all sorts of stuff growing, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, same thing, same thing for, for some, some types of people I'm going to throw out there. All right? Uh, NRA member. Fits in with the guns, right? Uh, used car salesman. Welfare recipient. Patriot. Protester. Trans athlete. Did some things come, in, come to mind? Just initial, visceral thoughts and feelings and stuff. I want you to remember that as we look into the passage because those same things would have been the case as people were hearing about the places and the people there and the people encountered, right? Well, we're going to take a look at, um, at the places really quick. So uh, we start out and we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling, it says he's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And, and you can kind of see there the different places highlighted. So Jerusalem is, is down there on the bottom of the picture. Um, Jerusalem is the big city, right? That is the cultural hub. That is the religious center, the government center. It is the trendsetter of the, of the region, much like big cities today. Um, Galilee is way up to the top. Um, that is, uh, that's, that's kind of the flyover state, right? That's where um, it's more rural. It would have been more working class, more blue collar. People would not have been as educated. You can almost kind of hear the, the, the Jerusalem elites, you know, snickering behind their hands at like the, the, the uh, poor grammar that's used or the outdated fashions or things like that. And then you have Samaria. And Samaria is actually even worse from the perspective of a good Jewish person, right? Samaria is a place of a, a very mixed ethnicity. It's a place of kind of mixing of religions and ways of living. Um, it's a place that historically had, had grown up because the, the people of Israel, uh, hundreds of years before this, had been exiled out, right, to a, to a foreign land. And others from all the nations around with all of their, their gods and their, their ways of doing things had been plunked into the land in their place. And so then when they came back, they, they intermixed and they married and, and, and they grew up from this. And so uh, people from Samaria were seen as being very, very questionable, morally questionable, religiously questionable, untrustworthy. Uh, there had even been at times in their history where the people had uh, taken sides against the nation of Israel with, with their enemies, right? So, so very negative viewpoint. So here's Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Um, and and, and he, uh, he's in this borderland, this borderland between Samaria and Galilee, somewhere where that purple line is. And it's, it's kind of this in-between space. You can think of kind of borderlands like that, right, where there's this intermingling of peoples. And it's kind of these, these uh, blue-collar Jewish people and these, these kind of hated, reviled um, Samaritans and, and so forth. And as we move on in the text... Um, 
we see that Jesus is encountering uh, 10 men with leprosy, and he's healing them. We could go to the next slide. There, there you go. Perfect. Um, he's encountering these 10 men who have leprosy, and, and he heals them. And it, just like we did with the, the places and the people, um, it's the same thing here. So I'm going to say a series of words and just think of what, what just viscerally comes to mind or what in your gut raises up. COVID-19. Cancer. AIDS. Right? I'm guessing you had a visceral reaction to those things too. And the same would have been true for the people in Jesus' day when they heard the word leprosy, when they encountered that. Um, it was a dreaded disease, much like all of those three others. Uh, literally, it could be wasting and deadly. And there was also this, this weird moral component, too, uh, to it, much like AIDS was, especially in the early days, the 80s and 90s, you know, where it was almost implied that a person, a person with leprosy may have kind of done something wrong that kind of brought it upon themselves, right? Uh, they were considered religiously unclean. It was highly infectious, and so infectious, in fact, that quarantine was mandated legally, uh, even, even heavier duty than anything that we saw in the midst of the pandemic, right? They were actually banished from community. They could not live in the towns. They were banished from their families. They had to live completely apart because it was so infectious. Social distancing was in place. Uh, we, see, we see in this next part of the passage how they're standing at a distance and calling out to Jesus. That was very purposeful, right? There's, there's a similar, similar to COVID-19, there's a certain number of days from when you uh, no longer show symptoms until you can go back into the community. And there's also this whole protocol and testing that goes on. We look at this and we see Jesus' directive to them. He says, go show yourself to the priests. And we're like, what the heck? Is he sending them down like, you know, to the local diocese so they can make confession? What, what's that all about? No, it's not that. The priests, the Jewish priests in these days served not only a religious function, but also kind of like the CDC health directors or whatever, where they were the officials who people would go to and they would examine them and they would say, oh, hey, is your leprosy gone? Is it still there? What is it? And they would give you, they were the ones who had to give you the rubber stamp of approval that, oh, now, now you can go back to your community and, and, and resume normal life. So, um, we can flip to the next bit there. So then we see uh, the one who came back. And we see this guy that, that he is overwhelmingly thankful. He's almost violently thankful. It says he threw himself down at Jesus' feet. And he thanked him. And I want you to notice one thing, too, that, that we, might, we might easily miss in kind of reading through it. That as he, as he goes, he, he's, he's kind of thanking and praising Two different entities, isn't he? Right? What's one of them? What's, who's, who's one person that he's thanking or praising? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Who's another one? God. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's thanking Jesus and he's thanking God. And we might, you know, in our 2,000 years later minds, we're thinking, oh, okay, cool. Jesus is the son of God. He's thanking God, blah, blah, But he didn't know that, right? He didn't know that Jesus was the divine son of God. He's, he's this guy who healed him. He's maybe a prophet or something like that, right? So he, he's thanking the person who helped him, and he's thanking God, right? He, he, he does both. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a fantastic um, lesson for us as well. Uh, this guy comes, he, he expresses deep, genuine, spontaneous gratitude. And Jesus marvels at it, and he praises him for it. 
And really, um, that, that brings us to just the crux of our passage. Remember that question, why? Why is that? Why is it that this guy came back and gave thanks? Why did he come back and why didn't the others? And again, we're not told. So we have to look at the clues that were given and use a little bit of imagination. And I thought of um, three possible reasons, maybe, why the guys didn't, the other guys didn't come back. Um, and these all align to barriers that can hinder us from gratefulness and barriers that can hinder us from encountering Jesus. And so these were the three that I, I came up with, right? One, um, anxiety over losing the gift. So imagine that the scenario was slightly different. So instead of Jesus coming along and, and healing these 10 guys with leprosy, imagine instead that these, these 10 guys, um, they, they're, they're not infected with leprosy, but instead they're kind of financially at a low point, right? They're, they're, they're in, um, in dire need of, of financial assistance. And Jesus comes along and he gives each one of them a winning lottery ticket. It's worth $50,000 each. He says, here you go. Go show this to the lottery office and cash it in. I'm like, yes. And as they start going, they're like, great, 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 great. And what's one of the first things that starts to happen? So they like, oh my gosh, this is worth $50,000. What if I lose this? What if it falls out of my pocket? What if it rips? What if somebody comes along and robs me? What if they take it away from me? What if I get to the lottery office and I'm too late and they're closed for the day and the numbers are no good tomorrow? And we start worrying, right? We start worrying and, and grasping on to, to the gift, the gift itself, right? We're so afraid that if we, if we hold it loosely, it'll just be swept away from us and we won't have it. We can, we can see that with our finances sometimes, probably, um, and, and other gifts that we're given. That we're so caught up in, in, in trying to preserve these blessings that we've been given at all costs that we don't stop to be grateful. The good news is that God will provide for our needs. So we don't need to worry, and we don't need to grasp on. It doesn't do any good when we do, and it prevents us from encountering Jesus. Well, the second thing, a uh, possible reason I thought of, was um, just distraction, and being caught up in the busyness of life. You remember um, one, of the, one of the things in the protocol for these guys to be let back into the community is once they, once they were approved, once they, got, once they got the rubber stamp, they still had to wait another seven days before they could go back. And so maybe they're running off and they're thinking, you know what, the sooner I'm cleared, the sooner I can pass my seven days, the sooner I can get back to family and community and all those good things and I can get back to a normal life and I can forget all that other stuff from before like it was a bad dream. And so they run off, and, and, and maybe they get caught up in, in just kind of the busyness of life and the distraction of those things that happen. And this is actually one that, that Jesus describes in one of his famous parables, the parable of the seed. You remember there's the seed that's planted in the different, different scenarios. And one of the scenarios is that the seed is planted, and it starts to grow, but the, the thorns choke it out. And later we learn that the thorns are kind of representative of the cares of this life, the distractions of this world, and, and, and the things that just kind of the everydayness of everything that, that, that takes away from from our, our ability to, to remember and to be grateful, our ability to really encounter Jesus. And, and um, sometimes we, we get too busy, right? We, we get too busy to, 
to, and too caught up to stop and be mindful of the gifts that we've been given. Too busy to stop and purposely step out of the hustle and bustle of life to encounter Jesus. What's the antidote to that? It, it, it's almost so basic. It's almost so kindergarten that we can scoff at it, right? But it really is just that, hey, I, I, I kind of need to set some time aside to pray. I kind of need to set some time aside to be thankful. I need to set some time aside to, um, to, to meditate on God's word and, and to let God work in me and, and to pay attention to what he's doing. And I think with gratefulness particularly, this is true. There's this old, old, super sappy, saccharine song um, called uh, Count Your Blessings, right? And, and, and not a huge fan of this song, but the concept, I think, is fantastic, right? To, to actually sit down and pay attention to, to all those things that God has given us. And okay, Next slide there. Um, I've done this on occasion, and I, I highly recommend it. Just take a few moments at some point to sit and actually write down what are my blessings and one by one really thank God for those things. And so things like, like Heather, our boys, God's provision for us of a home or cars that can get us places, uh, for other friends and family members in our life, uh, even for our pets, right? Um, all those things are, are great to be grateful for. Well, the last, the last uh, reason... Um, that I thought of was maybe, maybe, a little bit of a sense of entitlement, perhaps. Maybe the others kind of felt that they deserved it, maybe a little bit. Maybe they took it for granted. Maybe they thought, well, we kind of did the right thing, right? We, we called out to Jesus, and he told us to go and show ourselves as a priest, and we, we ran out in, in faith, and we did that, and he healed us, and so that's, that's appropriate, right? That's, that's a good thing. We, we made the right choice. So therefore, we've been healed, and we kind, of, we kind of deserve that because of the good choices that we made. I don't know. It's speculation, but it could be the case. But interestingly, what's, what's actually the only differentiator that we're actually told in the passage between the guy who came back and the nine who didn't? What's the only differentiator? You might have missed it. It's this little addendum almost that's put in there. It says he goes back, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanks him, and it says, and he was a Samaritan, right? And who are the Samaritans? They're the ones who are reviled and hated, looked, looked on with suspicion, and all this stuff. It would have been a shocker to the early hearers and readers of this. It wouldn't have been this little aside add-on amendment of, and he was a Samaritan. They would have read it as, and he was a Samaritan. Can you believe it? You know, it's sometimes the unlikely, sometimes unsavory characters in the Gospels that have the easiest time with gratefulness. Why is that? It's because they recognize their need, and they recognize that any gift that they're given is something that they hadn't earned. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's, it's the people who are financially poor, those who are looked down on, the ugly, the not very bright, the clumsy, the socially awkward, those without influence. All those folks are actually advantaged when it comes to gratitude and when it comes to embracing the gospel of grace as compared with those who have plenty in the bank, the popular, 
the beautiful, the clever, the athletic, the life of the party, and the powerful ones. Why? Because the poor in spirit, <clears throat> in their everyday existence, they are acutely aware of their need. When they receive a gift, whether of money to help make the rent, whether of an invitation to join in on a fun activity, they are more easily grateful than those who take those things as a matter of course. And because this is the lived experience of their everyday in matters of money or social interactions or what have you, it comes more easily and more naturally when they encounter the gospel of grace. I, I, I'm reminded of a story uh, from one of my favorite books. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel by a guy named Brennan Manning. In that he, he talks about how <clears throat> he was given a, a large anonymous donation and how he had recently been uh, spent a number of days in Juarez, Mexico, uh, living on and around a garbage dump where hundreds of people lived. That's how they lived. They scavenged it. That's where they got their food. And many of them died, right? because of just the, the poverty and the living conditions. And he, sent, he, he passed along this donation, this, this large anonymous donation, to a man that he had met there, a man who lived with his family on the garbage dump, who had 10 children, two of which had already succumbed to the living conditions. And he says that he was amazed. He got back nine long letters over the course of two days from this guy, where he was just overwhelmingly thankful grateful, talking in detail of how he was using the money to help both his family and the different neighbors who, who, who also lived in the dump and were struggling. He says, um, he says that gave him a beautiful insight into what a poor man is like. When he receives a gift, he first experiences and then expresses genuine gratitude. Having nothing, he appreciates the slightest gift put the last part up there. Um, he goes on to say that the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become. The more we realize that everything in life is a gift, the tenor of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. Everything in life is a gift. When we are encountering Jesus, really, it provokes in us a gratefulness. And when we take time to be grateful, it's actually a wonderful way of encountering Jesus. And it's almost like it's this, this upward, positive, self-feeding spiral. It's health. It's life-giving. It's what we were created for. And we can lean into that. We can lean into that by knowing that God will provide for us. So we have no need to worry and grasp on tightly by setting aside time to pray, to meditate on God's word, and to give thanks for the good gifts in our life. And by rooting out the assumptions that the good things that we have are only the right and proper rewards for who we are and what we've done, and instead acknowledge our poverty, and that all the good things in life are gifts from God's hand. And as we do that, <clears throat> I'm confident that we will find that we encounter Jesus all the more, and that we will grow in gratefulness.